Welcome back to Screenfish Radio. I am so glad you could join me this week as we are talking about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Uh, the longest film, the latest film, and the longest title in the Mission Impossible <laughs> series. Yes. <laughs> um, and I'm so glad somebody who has accepted this mission with me, Wade Bearden, I'm so glad you could join me today. Hey, I didn't get a cassette with the mission invitation from you. It was a Facebook message. Uh, I don't know. We haven't deleted it yet. We should probably do that. Well, that's okay, because your microphone will self-destruct uh, after the conclusion of this podcast. In your face. Yeah. No, no, it's just that little whiff of smoke that they do now. You know, uh, like, yes. And then it's just a... Yes. Yeah. No one how... will actually get hurt. <laughs> yeah, for self-destructing, I don't think I've ever seen one of them explode once in any of them. You know, Mission Impossible 2, he has the glasses, oh. and he throws them, and it... But you don't see the whole thing. It just kind of explodes into the, the montage at the beginning. And that is a great way to just describe the second one, right? You got smoke coming out in all of these other films. The second one, like, let's just blow up the message. That's what the second film is in a nutshell. And, and a joke about not telling you where you're going on vacation. Apparently, that just books ends the entire film. <laughs> anyway it's that's script oh brilliant anyway uh i'm so glad you're here it's great i love having you it's always great that you could be here and uh mission impossible dead reckoning for those that have not been to the theater to see it yet tells the story of ethan hunt and the imf team as they track down a terrifying new weapon that threatens all of humanity if it falls into the wrong hands mm. With control of the future and the fate of the world at stake, a deadly race around the globe begins. Confronted by a mysterious, all-powerful enemy, Ethan is forced to consider that nothing can matter more than the mission, not even the lives of those he cares about the most. Mm. The film is directed by Chris McQuarrie and stars Tom Cruise and uh, Ving Rhames, Haley Atwell, and Rebecca Ferguson. And as always, this podcast is rated S for spoilers. But uh, Wade, you accepted the mission. What did you think of Dead Reckoning Part 1? Yeah, so I liked it. I, I feel like I've liked it uh, in, the, in the last week that I watched it. I've probably liked it more and more. I will say I'm a huge fan of Fallout. I think Fallout is the best film in the series. And so it is, it's tough to top that. I do appreciate how uh, McQuarrie gave us a little bit different of a film it's a little more whimsy in a way uh, it is a it is a two-parter so it kind of throws back to uh, the tele television episodes of, of the past and we get a bit of a throwback to mission impossible one we we might talk about that uh, a little bit more uh, i don't think it's as strong like i mentioned uh, as fallout i don't think it's as strong as rogue nation maybe not even ghost protocol so like it's it's really good but i think Maybe that tells you how much I, I do like the series. I, I, I just think it's one of those those franchises that that does a lot of the same things, right? You kind of have similar beats, and yet I love watching them, and I love watching them over and over again. I've seen Fallout multiple times. I watched uh, part of Rogue Nation the other day, turned it on. I was like, man, this movie is just it's, – it's great. So it is, it is pretty amazing how you can take these types of stories and – tell them in similar ways and yet they're all pretty enjoyable but yeah i think dead reckoning part one is is decent with these with these films that are like part one part two i usually appreciate the first one after i've watched the second one so like infinity war i was just like i don't know about this and it's still not i don't think it's a great movie but i appreciate it more after after seeing endgame so maybe maybe that's where i'll end up here in the next year when I can see part two. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said that because that was one of the things I felt about the film. People were like, oh, isn't it amazing? And I know that Tom Cruise wanted it to feel like a standalone film. Mm -hmm. Doesn't. And I'm not saying that as a criticism, but I feel the same way. Like I, I actually felt the same way about Spider-Verse. People said, what do you, how do you feel about it? And I, uh, it's across the Spider-Verse is, is a wonderful film as well. Um, but it feels incomplete because it's only half a movie 
even if it is its own movie like we know that this is this was all about the key and next time it's going to be all about the the lock if you will but it still feels incomplete and there were scenes that i thought are are drawn out more than they would have been like everybody said compared it to fallout or or um what was the one before fallout it was rogue nation uh, rogue nation and those scenes those those whole stories are compacted very very tightly because it's only two hours or two fifteen or whatever it is. Mm. Um, this one I could tell that they were like, okay, we're gonna go further. This is a four and a half to five hour film. We're gonna do it this way. So, uh, to me, I think that's why it doesn't have the like the uh, the energy or the the tightness of it, if you will. Mm-hmm. But I, Chris McQuarrie can direct he can direct an action an action beat and an action film uh, he impresses me with every every new thing that he's doing most of them with tom cruise um yeah, yeah. but uh, you know i want to talk a little bit about that i'm wondering though for you 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 mentioned about the other films how has this franchise changed for you and and where we're at now because certainly certainly it's a very it, it's although it's similar it's a very different franchise. Yeah, it, it is really interesting to watch the evolution of this. I mean, you've got the De Palma film, the first film, which is very much uh, espionage based. And and that's why I think you can compare that one to this one in, in a yeah. sense. There does feel to feel like a lot of espionage in this movie. And you also have uh, Kittredge is back and you've got the train scene. There's, there's a lot of carryover. It's almost like it's bookending the series. Um, and then you have the second movie, which is just out there, right? And I think the 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 shot that encapsulates that film and what it says about Ethan Hunt is when he's on that motorcycle and that dove is is flying behind him, and he's he's almost like this this godlike creature uh, who can do anything. I mean, he flies through the air like a superhero. Uh, but then you'll notice as we as we hit Mission Impossible three and then move forward. Um, he gets cut. He gets bruised. He needs a team around him. And I don't think there's any, uh, I don't think there's there's uh, any other way to explain the evolution better than to see that core team begin to develop. And we see that a little bit with Rogue Nation, but mostly we see that cementing, or sorry, a little bit with Ghost Protocol. We see that cementing with Rogue Nation. And because he has that, they have this opportunity to say, okay, like he can't do everything. He can get hurt. He can be in dire situations and he's got those people around him and you care about those people. So it works. There's this um, scene in Rogue Nation where he's on, uh, he's riding a motorcycle and he like hits his knee and he gets cut. And it almost feels like this throwaway shot. But what they're telling us is that our hero bleeds. And we see that, uh, emphasized even more in Fallout, Henry Cavill is a better fighter than him. He can do so much more, and it's almost it's luck and and teamwork that allows them to win at the end of that one. Uh, and same thing is carried over here. So so you go from you go from this very much espionage movie to Ethan Hunt is a superhero, uh, and then and then we start getting more stunts in Ghost Protocol, and then he has a team, and so it's it's really neat to see that evolution, and I love how McQuarrie has taken some of those stunts and really pushed them to the next level. I mean, it, it this movie has some incredible set pieces, and the gel in between those doesn't always work. And it's funny to joke around because with, with a lot of these Mission Impossible movies, they have what I would call these wormhole like plot connectors. So they're trying to get characters from A to B and they just put this wormhole in the middle. And usually it's like, oh, we got intel that they're there and they're wearing this bracelet and you can find them there. And it's like, wait a second. How, like, how did, no, how'd you figure that out? Oh, you found it on a phone. Uh, and so this film, I think, does that to the max. It's a whole lot messier than the previous uh, two films directed by McQuarrie. But in one sense, you're like, okay, like this is this is not a super serious movie. Uh, we're here for the stunts. We're here for the duplicity. 
And in that way, it, I think it works in, in, in many, many ways. Like I said, it's not as strong as the previous two, but, but it's still a good time at the movies. You know, you talk about it getting amped up to the nth degree. And I want to talk about that a little bit, but there were moments where I thought, oh, are we approaching Fast and the Furious territory here? Like, <laughs> are we dipping our toe in the mm. furious waters just a little bit? Because mm. it was just, but, but to me, the anchor, the anchor, I mean, I'm sure the, the anchor to the series is Cruise. And mm-hmm. I mean, to me, the, you look at the old films and so much of it to me charts his career because mm-hmm. this wasn't never going to be the anchor of his career. I don't think like when you, when he did the first one, they were going to make sequels, but he would talk about it. He said, like, I remember at the time he'd say things like, I want every episode to be with a different director so that we have different visions. And they have that mm-hmm. for the first five films. Um, because like, um, like you said, there's De Palma in the first one, John Woo, the second, third one is JJ Abrams' first mm-hmm. film. I believe it's his first film lens flares and all. Uh, Brad yeah. Bird, uh, Brad Bird. Incredibles, yeah. or pre Incredibles or post Incredibles. I think it was post Incredibles. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I think yeah. I think Tom Cruise saw Ratatouille or something. I think that's the story. Is like, is he's like Ratatouille's awesome. Let's have this guy do a Mission Impossible movie. <laughs> it's like one of the best ones. But it's uh, great. But you know, it's funny because, and I I, I was saying this because our our oldest is starting to watch him for the first time. We just started the fourth i think he's working ways way way through ghost protocol or just finished it Mm. and um if you look back at cruz's career the franchise dips as he does so it i mean the the young cocky cruz in 96 for the first one and the second one is is john woo and it's still he's he's still with nicole kidman at this point he's sort of at the height of his powers and john woo we forget I mean, he had just done face off like he was, you know, everybody's talking about John. <laughs> um, but at that point, the Tom Cruise love affair started to to falter. And it was about that time was the couch jumping. I think it was after the second one mm. was couch jumping mm. for War of the Worlds. So when he did the third one, I think that that one was meant to be sort of the wrap up to the series. Um, because nobody really saw it. And the people that saw it went, actually, this one was was really good. Mm-hmm. But then he didn't make one for several years. Ghost Protocol came back, uh, came out five years later when he had sort of, he was sort of, you know, on a downturn and he needed an upbeat. And what the reason I say it that way is because one of the things I love about that film is it opens with him in prison, mm-hmm. forgotten by everyone else. <laughs> And it was sort of like that. No one cared about the next Tom Cruise movie. I mean, he did mm-hmm. some stuff that Pete, like he was still acting. He was still working. Mm-hmm. But Pete, like now when he shows up, people are freaking out again, mm-hmm. you know, like he's Tom Cruise, but he had lost some luster and mystery. Mm-hmm. And since then, the franchise has been all about him pushing the limits. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I think that was the point. It was the Burj Khalifa. That he became, yeah, that he became a Jackie Chan esque figure, and the series pivots on that too. It does. It, it 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 pivots. I I think there there's even a case to be made that he is our only true quote unquote movie star right now, and, and I don't. When people think of movie star, I think of someone who's famous. I I, I think a better definition of movie star is someone who can essentially carry a movie in the box office sense but also just in in pure charisma like there can be a movie built around him and his vision and i i can't think of someone else because you have you have a lot of people who are very famous for and i I think there's been some articles about that but you know marvel superheroes Mm -hmm. but these people have had a tough time translating over um, because they're part of a machine these films, he is not a part of a machine. You know, he's not in, inserted into a Marvel type world. It's built around him, and so I, you know, it's hard. I, I don't, I don't know how many movies. I know Will Smith was that for a while, but he's not anymore. Um, it is fascinating too how the films 
the series as a whole reflects society, especially the fears of society. So you've got you've got the the filmmaking technique that I think it it follows, but uh, notice um, some of the uh, the villains I think are a good a good way to look at this. So you've got you've got a virus mm -hmm. uh, in the second one, and that was kind of you know what we're all afraid of. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is incredible in the third one and he's just this this maniac this terrorist uh you've you've got nuclear warheads you've got the syndicate the apostles and now you've got ai so it's it, you know the film kind of charts along with what we're afraid of i don't know what it's going to be next civil war you know whatever um but but it's fun to see the series you know to view the history of our world or our country through that series and maybe there's an article or a book to be written about it but but i think someone could do some good work along those lines yeah it's it's really interesting because uh somehow like again we've talked about we we you said this before each of the films is very similar like a friend of mine once said to me i remember him saying like man like what's the hiring practice over at imf because all these all these guys always end up turning and <laughs> attacking the imf the um, mask, the mask machines always break. They always break. <laughs> Build a better mask machine. <laughs> like we know that uh, that what uh, Benji can hack into, like the, every mainframe, you can't mm -hmm. fix the mask machine. Like, come on. well, but every, it has every, to be. <laughs> but somehow each one, I think they've literally said each one's been better reviewed than the last. Mm. Or the you know since the fourth one and it's the only franchise that i know of that by number seven people aren't yawning mm -hmm. like i can't think of films that by number yeah. by number seven or eight people aren't going okay and and you and the star is not going we better try something different here um mm -hmm. but i think so much of it honestly like i said like you said he's uh are our only real big movie star right now. I think it's a fair comparison because Cruz sort of does whatever he wants right now. Uh, mm -hmm. I hear his one of his next movies is just called the Tom Cruise in space movie. And he's going to be the first, first actor to shoot a movie in space. Cause he can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I heard, I heard a story. I heard a story. It was uh, Matt Damon. I think he was on Conan. This was years ago. I heard it. And uh, Matt Damon, they were talking to him, and I guess he was out to dinner, and there was Tom Cruise, and they, Matt Damon's saying, he goes, so I had to go up to him, and I said, I had to say hi. And he said, you know, this Burj Khalifa thing that you did, and he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I wanted to do that for years. And he goes, how did you do it? Like, there's no way you should have been able to do this. And he goes, <laughs> and, and, and Tom Cruise looks at him, stares him in the eye, and said, that's an interesting story. So we're out there, and I tell him what I want to do. I tell my safety guy, this is what I want to do. And the safety guy says, you're insane. You'll die. There's no way we can do this and have you live and have you be safe. There's no way we're doing it. And so I got another safety guy. And, that, <laughs> and Damon just starts laughing because <laughs> that's what Tom oh, Cruise man. did. <laughs> yeah, like, you can hear him say it in his voice. Like you could, you could hear Tom Cruise saying that. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it it is fascinating to view this series. And I I don't know if if they're planning on going out with a bang in, in you know part one and part two, and this is this is gonna kind of be it. But you can almost see uh, a universe where Tom Cruise is kind of doing mission impossibles until he can't. You know, he's he's Harrison Ford's Ford's age and he's he's still doing this trademark character. He said uh, that. He said that. Yeah, oh, he did he did say that. He said, I want to do it. I want to be doing these when I'm his age because Indiana wow. Jones came out. Now, he might wow. have just been saying that to help give the, the Harrison Ford bump, right? Like he might have yeah. been saying that, but yeah, I, I don't really want to see an 80 year old. Mind you, his cardio at 60 is better than mine was at 19. So I don't know. What's the what's his run going to look like? Right. <laughs> did you did you ever see Jack Reacher part yes. two? Yeah. So it's like. It, that movie's horrible. He's got that run, you know, his unique run. And then Kobe Smulders has this weird run too. And they're both doing it. And I'm like, this is out. Got somebody get them a running coach. 
you're not doing your arms right folks <laughs> he has to do it like this yeah i will say that shot of him running on top of the airport in this film uh that was great you're just like that's that's what we want to see like it's his run and he's just doing it he's going and we love it <laughs> it it's uh I, somebody asked him they're like so where did the tom cruise run develop and he went it's just how i run <laughs> just how it's how i do it because <laughs> it's so forced it's like almost robotic in his movements mm -hmm. but he he's huffing um, <laughs> um what I, so i mean going back to dead reckoning though for a minute mm -hmm. um I, I was wondering what you thought like you said about the villain being ai i was mm -hmm. wondering for you what that how that really struck as it played out because it is like you said, it is otherworldly in parts, and they're not the first film to do it. Like, mm -hmm. I joke about the Fast and the Furious, but they've had the God's Eye in the most, like their series is nonsensical. It's just ridiculous. It's insane. Mm -hmm. But they, they're they not hardly <laughs> the first film to do it, but there's something about this one that feels a little more current, maybe. I think with chat GDP coming out, so it, it just, it almost feels like they knew that this was here. Uh, it's it's perfect timing. Uh, I what I what I liked about it is, uh, I liked Gabriel's character, uh, this this villain. He's kind of a weak villain. Uh, you've got Philip Seymour Hoffman, and you've got Sean Harris. You got Henry Cavill. You have some really great villains. Gabriel's kind of weak, but I like the idea that there is this AI, this entity, but it needs human muscle. To be able to do its work and so gabriel becomes kind of like a tool like a computer is a tool for us the roles are reversed and now you have the computer is using human muscle uh, and so i i do appreciate that i i thought that gabriel's character was was a little a bland um but it lends i don't know some some credibility uh some human emotion to it I don't know if you saw that uh, this film. It's it's probably fifteen years old. Eagle Eye with Shia LaBeouf, Billy oh, Bob Thornton. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you get to this place. This this AI thing's attacking them. They're in the middle of the desert, and you're like, okay, the AI can't touch him. And what do they do? The AI like drops uh, the electrical wires <laughs> and like gets them and stuff. And it's you're like that that doesn't happen. And so having this conduit who can who can do that is fascinating. And I will say too, whenever whenever you bring in an AI like this, you are bringing in questions of like godlike power. And uh, I like how this one offered a new wrinkle uh, with the algorithm of of determinism versus free will. And um, some of those elements I thought were were really really worth chewing on but the film does a nice job of of tapping into some of these deeper issues without calling out to them too much i think probably the heavy the heaviest line of the film is is whoever controls the entity controls the truth uh so there is this spin on ai where it's not just taking control and becoming aware but it's creating these algorithms to predict our behavior and to nudge along our behavior so we're seeing we're seeing you know twitter an evil version of twitter affecting the world for the first time so in that way i i actually kind of like you know this eye of saran uh, uh imagery i thought was 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 pretty good so i i did like that i wish i wish gabriel's character was a little bit stronger but i like the idea of 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 what he represents in the movie well, you know, I agree with you on Gabriel. I'm hoping that, again, a fully fleshed out film narrative will help that mm. because there's very clearly they've told you that there's history between him and Cruz. They've shown you flashbacks uh, in in the film and whatnot. So I'm hoping we'll get a little bit more from him. But he, he doesn't, I mean, you can't even compare him to, to Hoffman's character. Is just He's just on fire yeah. the entire film. He's so good. Yes um you know it's interesting because when i saw this the one of the things i thought was so strange was my gosh like here is somebody entirely just waiting for the computer to tell him what to do because gabriel <laughs> is sort of well 
Gabriel sort of his his archangel, if you will, right? You know, like mm -hmm. you were talking about the muscle for the AI. And I thought, is that realistic? And I guess, have we really ever thought of it? The funny thing was the next week I was reviewing another film and they used the same plot, not the same plot, like on the whole, but yeah, the whole wow. premise was, is that there was a supercomputer AI and it was, there was the religious sect, you know, mm. because, because the AI had achieved such knowledge and not even just determinism, but like we, I know what's best for humanity because I've seen every permutation. And so they willingly were giving themselves up to this machine. Mm. And it made me actually re-reflect on Gabriel's character and actually think, okay, that's very interesting because I hadn't thought of it from that perspective that not just he's not just doing its bidding. He actually believes that the, that the AI knows what's best and knows what's right. And he knows the answer. And that actually, I was like, that's, kind of terrifying in some ways mm -hmm. i you know the performance of the characters is one thing but in terms of a villain it almost made more logical sense than i expected it would yeah and and they also keep it a little a little shadowy too because you're not sure if he's also serving the entity because he wants more power mm -hmm. um and it brings to mind you know when you when we read the apostle paul the idea of, of becoming a, like a slave to sin there are these vices that we think are life-giving and we pursue them and we actually become slaves to them and, and we almost see that with with gabriel's character i, I was reading i think it was matt zoller sites uh, compared ethan on the other hand to uh, a monastic vow that's taken in service to his country and he uses, he said, he says, even Mission Impossible 3, he dresses up as this priest to go into the Vatican. And because of that, he has to almost swear off the women in his life. Um, though they, they cannot exist. He has to swear off this family. Uh, and he is, he's in service to a higher order. We wouldn't say he's a slave to the higher order but a service. And I thought that was really sort of fascinating. I've been thinking about that again. And um, two, I kind of like the idea, this cruciform key, right? This sort of religious icon that uh, holds the key to deconstructing this entity, this quote unquote, godlike entity. And so it almost becomes um, this tower of Babel versus the cross in a lot of ways. I think maybe I, I don't want to read too much into it and be like, Oh, the, the, uh, the filmmakers have that in mind, but it does bring to mind some of these sort of ideas, and they really do tap into Ethan and his role on the team and his role um, as this sort of suffering servant. He he's always being chased by by the uh, by the authorities, and he has to see people that he loves lost. And so there's there's some kind of fascinating ideas there. I've always felt like the mission movies, like you said, tap into a cultural conversation going on. And I do remember like that, that one where he dresses up as a priest and he's underneath the, they're raiding the Vatican and all that stuff. I'm like, this, yeah. which is a fun <laughs> sentence to say, yeah. uh, but like, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. There's some religious imagery here and they're using it to affect, they use a lot of it. Yeah. In this yeah. film. And I, I'm not, I'm not going to over spiritualize the film or anything like that. I, I hope I'm not because but yeah, like there's no reason to make the key into a cruciform shape mm -hmm. uh, to try and unlock, you know, this uh, or try it. But I love this idea of the suffering servant. It was funny. One of the things I actually thought about this film, too, since, we, you know, we talk about uh, talk about ser uh, service here. This is the first film I think we've ever seen anybody get recruited into yeah. IMF and yeah now I and I think seven and eight were supposed to be the grand finale but now he says they got an idea for nine and they're looking ahead like they they are but if this was supposed to be the beginning of the last chapter and I'm not saying that it's going to end what I'm saying is the original intent I think it's fascinating this is this one is talking a lot about choice and although they've always said your mission should you choose to accept it 
-hmm. he's never really had a choice. He always sort of has to take the mission. Mm -hmm. But they talk about the choice with a certain sense of nobility and sacrifice in this one, because they're talking with uh, what's Haley Atwell's character's name is Grace. 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 Her name is Grace. There it is. Um, And again, I don't want (laughs) to I don't want to go full, you know, like people. Well, here he goes again. But in all seriousness, this is a film about about choice and choosing to serve as opposed to feeling trapped by it. And I thought that was a very interesting conversation to have, uh, especially Mm -hmm. surrounding AI and whatnot. But it really is an interesting take. I've never seen anybody get it opens with a pizza delivery guy who's just Mm -hmm. on like his first day. Mm -hmm. I wasn't like a huge fan of Ethan's backstory. I'm really glad they kept it light because they could have done a whole lot more. But I like the idea of them recruiting people who are in trouble and yeah. what that might look like i thought that was great to the christian symbolism like i whether you're a christian or not it's i think it's a really good idea to study the bible because our culture is so steeped in christian imagery that i think some of these images are kind of cropping in maybe filmmakers don't even understand the the cross and what it means to us right but they understand the significance of it and some of these big ideas surrounding it and so we see how that can have you know an effect at least a dramatic effect anyway or a person sees a cross and 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 they feel something and so i think that that is is worth exploring there's also this really kind of fascinating uh it, it actually feels a little bit like indiana jones in the dial of destiny you have this individual who feels like lost in time. Like he feels like the world's kind of left him behind. And here uh, you'll notice how Ethan gets the mission. It's on a cassette tape. Uh, he, he is this, he's this old school muscle. So he is AI before AI is AI, right? So AI is, is used to infiltrate uh, some or virus used to infiltrate an enemy and covertly destroy stuff that's what he did before that was possible right he was the one that infiltrated disguised himself like a virus to get in you know all that stuff and so his world is constantly it's changing and he's struggling to keep up with that and his team's struggling to keep up with that they're struggling to keep up with you know figuring all this stuff out and they're being exploited by the entity too so that adds a nice little uh wrinkle wrinkle to to the story as well yeah, I, what's the line in Ocean's Thirteen? They're talking to George Clooney and Brad Pitt, and they say you're you're analog players in a digital world, and uh, <laughs> it applies here. It applies here yeah. um, now. Cruise, it's not like their team isn't tech savvy. Far from it. Yeah. Like they're they're you know Luther can open his laptop and you know do anything apparently at all. <laughs> um, which just makes you feel bad for Emilio Estevez in that first movie, you know. Dude, he <laughs> couldn't even stop the elevator. Couldn't, couldn't stop the elevator. He could do anything. He's impaled, and yeah, it's it's it, funny. So you mentioned the first one. I, I talked about some of the callbacks. You got the train sequence in this one. You got Kittred's back. Um, but another another scene that I felt like called back to the first one is where Ethan is trying to save uh, Ilsa. She's she's battling Gabriel and he's running kind of as fast as he can. And there's this there's this this powerlessness that he has. And it reminded me of the first one when he's kind of just watching all of his team members uh, die. I think this one holds a little more emotional significance because Elsa's character is the second best character, I think, in all of the Mission Impossible movies. She's really great. Um, that that I don't know how you felt. I guess I could ask you about that. I was really sad. That was that was really I I, I almost hope the film kind of break the next film breaks rules and brings her back and was like it was a fake the whole time because I just like her character so much and I think there's significance too. Like her character appears in Rogue Nation and the series does make a jump in my estimation um for that this family but yeah so i don't know did how did you feel about her her death in the movie i mean 
the conversation of how this franchise uses his female characters is almost a different yeah i was just like again <laughs> yeah i mean they're bond girls for the first couple of movies and then they they give you some tough female characters and then they kill them off and i guess mm -hmm. this is the first female uh, first death for his own team since uh usually they just disappear you know <laughs> after that next movie they're just gone and yeah. even even his his wife had to fake her own death and you know mm -hmm. all this stuff but i mean i knew they were going to kill off somebody they had better if the movie's called dead reckoning kill off someone mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <sighs> i was like man you know i hate to say it but like i i i thought that her character had so much so much more to tell us so much more to offer Mm -hmm. the and and like i wouldn't have been as much i, I would have been very sad if they killed off luther mm -hmm. but at the same time i would have been okay if they killed off luther although you know like what else is ving rames doing right now um but like he's got to put food on the table dude got, don't take this away from him guys i'm sorry you know <laughs> he's he, the guy's got to pay his rent i understand that yeah but I, I felt the same way. I was like, I actually, I like I said, she's. I think she's the second best character in the entire franchise, and so it was kind phenomenal. of phenomenal. Uh, Haley Atwell is great here, though, in this movie. Uh, she's a really nice addition, and it was good to see her because, of course, she played um, uh, Peggy Carter in the Marvel universe, but I haven't really seen her anywhere else. Um, I Blinded by the Light. Um, uh, she was in the the Springsteen uh, movie, uh, but. I uh, I was I was I was happy to see her in this film, um, and she does a phenomenal job and really sets up nicely for the second movie. Uh, I think I think she'll she'll she might even be at odds with with Ethan Hunt's character for for a little while. See, I actually wondered again, assuming that this would have been the finale, if the idea was passing the baton to Haley Atwell. Um, because she's recruited she's getting trained she's now the mentee or yeah he'd be the mentor she's the mentee and i kind of wondered i thought if you're going to kill off tom cruise which why they never will um it would make sense to sort of say okay it's your ball now mm -hmm. and i don't know if they continue the franchise or not but that would be the only logical way to do it is to have an actual passing of the torch and I think Haley Atwell is wonderful in this. Um, I don't love the fact that it sort of felt like, well, we've got Haley Atwell now, so Rebecca Ferguson, we, you know, thanks, thanks Thank for you coming. For your service. Thanks for your service. <laughs> I was like, I didn't like that. It felt icky to me. I was like, this is come on, like we, um, mm -hmm. but because I, I think you're right, second best character, and I think Haley Atwell is wonderful in this. I do love Benji. I've grown to love Benji. Uh, Simon, oh, I mean, yeah. I love Simon Pegg anyway, but they've done a good job with Benji. Mm -hmm. uh, keep, keeping him out of the lab. He's not just the guy in the chair, to, to coin the, the Spider-Man phrase. He's not just the guy who's only on the laptop. He's in the field. He's driving the cars, which we haven't talked about the stunts in this film, actually. How have we not? We have, <laughs> we have talked it. <laughs> Go ahead. It took. I felt like it took a little while to get to the stunts. Kind of waiting. Um, the car scene where they're in the the Fiat. I, I'm a little conflicted. It's very fun. It's very fun. I love the Hitchcockian element. The handcuffs. I think that that works yeah. pretty well. It does feel. Like this film had a lot more fun than Fallout. Like Fallout's a serious movie with jokes. Some of these scenes felt funny, uh, and that scene especially. And so it, it it was a little jarring to me because I had just watched Fallout, but it was choreographed so well. Probably went along went along. I think the best the best action sequence in the film. Uh, well, I don't know if about the best. The surprising one is when they're in that really small alleyway. That was really oh, well yeah. done. You could feel, you could feel all of that. The tension, the constriction. Um, that's not a stunt, but I thought that one was was really good. I I, I meant what I said before. I think Macquarie has just this beautiful ability 
to tell stories in his action scenes, not yeah. just show you some cool fights, but he continues his narrative in different, in different ways throughout some of the scenes. Like it, it doesn't feel like the storytelling has to stop mm-hmm. sometimes in the way he builds his tension. So, you know, um, in the, in the scene, the, the final scene in the train scene, uh, as yeah. they're climbing out of the train, it's not just about escaping the train. It's also about how they view the key, and it's also about how they're they're working with each other. It's not just about get the get the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just felt like the story doesn't stop. There are certain films. It's like okay, we have story happening now. We have to stop so we blow something up. Now we'll continue the story. Mm-hmm. And I think Macquarie has a has a really interesting way of continuing to tell stories through his action scenes. And and he and Tom Cruise, I think, make beautiful music together. Like so, to the point that, mm-hmm. like, when when the shooting of Maverick wasn't going well, he's like, "Hey, Chris." So Chris comes in and and to work with the flight scenes, like to to perfect mm. the narrative of the the uh, the air battles. And I I don't think he's credited in it, but they brought him in to to sort of fix. I think them. he's got like a screenplay credit. Oh, does um, he? Yeah, he's got okay. a screenplay credit, but. I didn't know he worked with like with some of the stunts. You know, talking about that train scene, um, you know, I, I mentioned Hitchcockian. Uh, we have a lot of uh, really good Dutch angles throughout the film. Uh, and Josh Larson compared the the train scene to something from like Buster Keaton's The General. So it's interesting to see some of these kind of mix in. But what we were ta- what you're talking about with um, Haley, uh, with the characters and the character building, I love what they did with Haley Atwell's character. We find that like like she is. She is this criminal mastermind, but she's as a mastermind. She's a criminal, um, but she's innocent. And we see her. We we see her. She's afraid. Um, she's not Ethan Hunt yet. And and we get to learn more about her character just by the way they're yeah. running through or they're trying to climb up that train. Yeah. And uh, re, I mean the whole the whole sequence of them on the train, which is what. Um, a third of the movie or a fourth of, I don't know, a third, maybe a fourth of the film. That was all just so good. And then, of course, the motorcycle jump, which I wish they hadn't shown that too much in the trailers and they did behind the scenes and all that. That was really wonderful. The poster is just him diving off the cliff on the motorcycle, the, the original <laughs> teaser poster. And, and I watched the behind the scenes on the motorcycle jump three weeks before I saw the film. Mm. And... But I will say, seeing the film in IMAX, I was still took my breath away. Mm. That stunt, even though I knew everything about it, it's something to see. And this is what I say about Tom Cruise, you know, the comparison to Jackie Chan, is his insistence to do things himself. You know, you talk about the analog and the digital, bringing it together here. It feels old school. Like, it Mm -hmm. feels like we're going to make something and show it to you. We're not just going to, I mean, they, they run it through a computer like everybody else does. I know they do, but Cruz is committed to making sure that you see him in the cockpit of that fighter plane. He's committed to see that you see him ride that motorbike. And that's, that's the whole thing about them doing the, the behind the scenes beforehand is because they want to remind you this dude did this. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't just, it, it, he didn't Iron Man it. He didn't just put on a CGI suit and then they slapped it together in a lab. And and there's something magical about knowing the use of practical effects in in, in anything, really. But mm. the, the way that he implements it, and Macquarie and him just seem to, seem to know how to use each other so well. Yeah, well, it goes back to the form of films, right? Yeah. Uh, you can have these films that say something, but the form says something completely else. And... And notice what the form says here. You know, you've got this movie about AI, this entity. And if it were average blockbuster, it would probably be contradicting itself with the form. You get all the CGI and everything like that. It's like, oh, I'm using technology on that. But what this film does is it has CGI, but it's a film about AI. And it and and yet when you watch it, you walk away with an appreciation for the tactile, for the real uh for for the for the i guess you could say the 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 human the human flesh uh we want to see real people doing real things and so it's almost combating the ai storyline through through the way that it's it's told and um 
which yeah i mean that that's that's what they're setting out to do and, and i think they do that really well and i think i like that you bring that comparison in because we'd sort of talked about the idea of truth in this film but one of the things that kittrich actually says is, or he starts talking about um that the lines have been blurred between reality and fiction like he, what does he doesn't use those words what he his quote is that your days of fighting for the so-called greater good are over this is our chance to control the truth the concepts of right and wrong for everyone for centuries to come you're fighting to save an ideal that doesn't exist never did you need to pick a side so what you see with uh with the ai storyline and with gabriel you know it, it, I mean, the, the dissolution of of truth, which can come with it, which is coming with AI. I mean, we see this even echoes of this in the fight uh, with the SAG after strike going on right now. The 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 way that people want to use AI to create anything at, at any time and use anyone's voice. But what we're talking about with practical effects, there is something grounded, physical. This is this is reality. This is truth versus an alternate one which can do anything it can erase it can put someone else's face on a digital screen like we see as they're sneaking through the airport mm-hmm. uh where where's that guy what are they doing they're, they're doing all this stuff and um the reality is just completely blurred when ai is just allowed to run amok in this in this film but but cruises that see to me this is where the benefit is cruises action films remaining grounded grounds the film in some form of reality and, and truth in fic- as opposed to the fiction mm. of, of technology. Yeah. I, I mean, it gets back to, um, I, I think it's good for films to be murky sometimes to, to blur good and evil and, and talk yeah. about how good and evil cuts through all of us. What's interesting about these movies is that's never really the case with Tom Cruise. And he's not even like a 007 type of guy who uses people willingly and then discards them. It just, you know, sort of happens, at, at least in the latter films. Um, but you'll find it, he's using the same type of techniques as the AI. Remember when the AI used Benji's voice to throw him off course? Well, what do they do? They use masks and they use that person's, people's voices to throw them off track. So he's doing that. But what the, the film is, is the case is ma- making is he has made, and it goes back to this vow almost a religious vow to do the right thing, to do the good thing, to value people's lives. And it's nice to watch a movie where it just like you get a good person and who, who, who's committed. And like I said, it's good. It's good because life is like that evil cuts evil and good cut through all of us. Um, But it is, uh, it is great to see almost this, this fairy tale, this myth of what it would be like if someone was completely good. And that's why Kittredge's character is fascinating because Kittredge, he's he's working for the United States, right? You're like, oh, tech, I mean, is he a, is he the bad guy? Um, but the reason he's at at odds is because Tom Cruise is like, I am, like, I see something better, uh, and I'm going for that. And so there is a lot of different angles to the movie, um, but it goes it goes to the idea of goodness, but also, yeah, like how truth is used and deployed and who it's deployed against. There's some really interesting questions there. It's interesting too, because Kittrich, his arguments about what is good is entirely based on whose good is it for, mm-hmm. you know? So it's sort of like, well, this is good for me. So this is what is good, you know, or this is, or this is my motive. Like, this is my motivation. This is what I see as good being, but Cruz's character, Hunt's character is sort of, goes beyond that and it's sort of like this it, it's a sacrificial good it's sort of like it's not mm-hmm. about him it's not about it's about it's not about gaining power like the villains are always about gaining power that's all they want is power mm-hmm. and money um but for Cruz there's some sort of greater good that that he is is looking for that he never really states it's not mm-hmm. like Cruz has a moral compass that he speaks like I'm calling him Cruz hunt has a moral mm-hmm. compass that he he overtly states you know you don't know the rules but you know that's what he wants mm-hmm. his duplicity is always rooted in his belief that this is better for everyone and not just himself mm-hmm. 
Well, it, you know, that's a good point. And, and it's also everyone but anyone because um, the, in Fallout in this film, they've emphasized how he's willing to like give up the nuclear bombs to save that one person on his team. And in this one, they're like, you can't save Ilsa or or Grace's character. Like one of them has to go. And he's like, no, I'm not willing that any of them would go. And I think initially that might sound like he's romantically linked to both. But uh, I think what it's saying is deeper is like he doesn't want anyone anyone to die. Um, going back to just a random thought that I'll mention, I, I think what made Ilsa's death so hard is I think one of the tenderest moments in the franchise is when they're going to the party and, and she just like hugs him mm. on, on this boat and um, a really great moment. And that's when I was like, oh, no, like they're too close. She's rap bait. Oh, no. I don't I didn't want I didn't want to believe, but it happened. She got too close. <laughs> yeah, that breaks my heart. It really yeah. does. I, like I said, if they came out back in the second part two and they're like, haha, we faked your death, I wouldn't even be like, Oh, you y'all, y'all just fooled me for emotion. I'd be like, Okay, cool, I'm glad. You know, it's okay. So who are you willing to sacrifice who was wearing an Ilsa mask? Uh, just somebody who was at the party. No, 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 no. But here, here's the deal. It's her. But remember um, Paris, the the uh, Gabriel's person? Uh, uh, I say person, henchwoman. He yeah. stabs her and they think she dies. And like, no, no, she has a pulse. He stabbed Ilsa in the same spot. And so they're like, ah, she's dead. And they're like, no, she has a pulse. And they, you know. <laughs> Probably the not. Post, the post credit scene right there is probably not. They're like, she has balls. Get her, get her to the safe house, Luther. Yeah. Can we also just talk about the exposition too in this film? Luther is always over explaining. He's always like, Ethan, you have to do this, 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 and this. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure Ethan already knows all this stuff. We know you're doing it for us, Luther. Uh, <laughs> but like I said, Luther it's it's Mission point, Impossible. You let it go. Luther at one point is just going to turn to the audience and he's like, do you understand what's going on? You know, this, is, this is what Ethan has to do. This is why he has to do it. I'm going to tell him, but he already knows. I'm just doing it for you. If he breaks the fourth wall. See, this is what I mean about the franchise is that it's it's ridiculous, but it's not nonsense. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, the, the Fast and the Furious movies, I keep coming back to them. They're, they're, they're so bad. I don't know how people sense. like them. I hate those movies. I, I, it's like watching a train wreck, but not like what we saw in Mission Impossible. No, but, no. but I, I, I've come to like them, but they're awful. Like I know, I, I, like I know they're awful. Like I'm watching there, and I'm there are moments I'm groaning characters are dead, and and all the drama is just taken away because oh, don't worry, we brought them back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like every time they say family, you choke up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Single tear runs down your face. Mumble growl the word. You're like, I gotta go, time. I gotta go eat at Olive Garden. You know, <laughs> when we're here with family, I gotta go after watching this movie. That's like the greatest. If if you if any of the Fast and Furious direct like marketing people are watching this, you need a collaboration with Olive Garden stat. And it's all about when you're here with your family. Don is sitting there and he's with I don't I don't know why nobody's done this yet. I digress though. You know that I'm digressing further. You know what that makes me think of is uh in Talladega Nights when it's sponsored is <laughs> sponsored by uh was it Applebee's or Applebee's something? and the car is exploding and it's let's go to commercial. It comes back, the car is still going. That's that's where we're at with Fast and Furious. That's what we need. Oh my goodness. Um, and it is funny. It, no, I, I do think that in all seriousness i think your comparison between those two franchises is really interesting because you have fast and furious and you watch the first one it's very different from where they're at now and they're upping the stunts they're going into outer space they're doing all of this and you could you could make that comparison you look at the first one you look at now you look at the stunts but there's they're just different and it's all about that execution and uh knowing where the line is i guess and and just to nail this down, both of them destroyed Rome this year. Mm. Um, within, within six weeks of each other, they all took down Rome. 
I haven't seen the new one. I'm I'm waiting for uh, number twenty to come out so I can just watch them all. Just, at yeah, once. just watch it all. It's it's really just like watching one big explosion. Is really all <laughs> it is. Well, these well, one guy's drinking a Corona and the other person's exploding in the back. Yeah, uh, but they're fine. Um, but no, it's you know it is. That's what I'm saying about this franchise is that somehow it's remained grounded, no matter how even even though all the beats are goofy. Like we mm-hmm. know, we like you can you can chart the things that need to happen to make a Mission Impossible movie. You you know they know. Like in the sec in the second one, they're talking. They they start getting meta on themselves when the villain's like, "Well, Hunt will undoubtedly try some elaborate stunt by going through an air vent or something like this." It's the second movie. They've already given up on themselves. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something enjoyable about these ones and i really i i really think it's uh this one is interesting and and i'm looking forward to seeing where this conversation on on choice goes if it goes anywhere it'd be interesting to see if they continue with the the conversations mm-hmm. um you know kittridge even says our lives are the sum of our choices so mm-hmm. i'm kind of wondering where that arc ends up yeah and and the idea of like do we even have a choice like the the a i I love how the ai is kind of predicting everything i think that's really cool i am looking forward to in the the next one you know they're going to go after the submarine i assume the submarine's still sunk so that's going to be a really cool stunt sequence when they go underwater and do it so that's that's going to be a lot of fun you know i i heard a criticism online that the film opens with the place that no one that we know now where it is and nobody else does and i thought that was interesting but it didn't mm. bother me um it, it's but it adds an interesting layer to the audience now the audience now knows exactly where he needs to go roughly oh. and he's just like i got a key i don't know where it goes to well we do yeah i i i almost wondered if, if that reveal should have been more towards the end um when the characters when gabriel finds out he hears it for the first time um but also i i mean as they're looking at the story is it going to be too convoluted for us you know are we going to be as attached to it if we're just like oh it's a random key like that's it um do we have to know that i also wish um i love the idea of like gabriel's character kind of disappearing and stuff in the airport i love the idea that maybe he wasn't real and that ethan's kind of seeing him and i wish they would have allowed that to go on for a little longer and you realize oh he actually is a real person this is not just the ai but um yeah part two i does it come out next year i, I hope it does because i'm interested in seeing it i'm, I'm not really sure really excited. i have finished i think I, I know they were shooting them back to back i don't know how finished it is okay and of course the strike is going to make some changes but i it is scheduled for next june i believe it's scheduled for next june oh wow wow so well i mean wade i think we've we've talked about this movie just about every way we can uh we should screen it or skip it so yeah you definitely definitely gotta gotta screen it (laughs) it's a theater movie i mean tom cruise yeah has pretty much knocked on every door and and begged you to come to the theater. Um, <laughs> he he literally you you've paid to see the movie. You've watched the trailers. You're sitting there, and he's still trying to convince you to see it. And you're like, "Well, I'm here. I paid for it. Just go." <laughs> I never get those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Sorry, you know, or or the I'll see you at the movies ad where he's on the plane. It's like I'm, I'm dude, you know, you... I'm at the movies. <laughs> <laughs> see, I just thought he was working for Uber now, and he was just going house to house with every delivery, and he's dropping it off, and he's like, "See my movie." I think that's uh... right. But... He's got to do something. His ex-wife Nicole Kidman has that great AMC commercial. He's got to do something. He's trying. <laughs> we we didn't have that commercial up here, so I saw it online. We because we don't have AMC oh, yeah. theaters, and oh, wow. that was just the funniest thing. It was so good. It, it was, just took off on a life of its own. It's it's just wild. Uh, uh, oh, what about you? You, I assume, screen it, it's a screen it for me. Oh yeah, I mean, 
it, it's interesting to me because I'm I'm noticing that the franchise is not appealing to younger people anymore. Hmm. I I and I I don't know why that is. Whether it's just because Cruz is getting older, or, or I mean, Haley Atwell is well known, but all of his sort of actors are sort of older. Hmm. Um, but they didn't, you know. Thankfully, they didn't like bring in Shia LaBeouf or something like that. Like, did he, who's older now anyway? But like that that guy, right? They, Fool you know, me they, once, they, man. Fool me once. Um, <laughs> the next one will be uh, Mission Impossible: Search for the Crystal Skull. And <laughs> I actually, I actually do kind of. I like Crystal Skull. I'm not a big fan of Shia LaBeouf in the movie, but I do. It's kind of a. I think it's a fun one. So no, we, I'm glad we're not potting on that one. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll do. We'll do a capsule review later. That's right. Uh, but no, it's a screen it for me because this is, this is a movie movie. You know yeah. that like there are, we see so many films now that. I think our wonder our great spectacles CGI is you know either at its best or at its worst depending on what um mm. but this is a movie movie this is a see it in the theater and take it in for all of its scope and pray that Tom Cruise doesn't die while you're watching it you know sort of movie <laughs> like did they slip yeah, that mean, in the final edit it it, it is I you hear a lot. Oh, that was just a fun movie. It was just a fun movie. You know, you got a, a lot of these movies that are going straight to streaming. Marvel's coming to Disney Plus quickly. Like, oh, it was just a fun movie. But I watch it, and we all, even the people that like those movies, it, it just seems like there's more and more fun movies, blockbusters that are just forgettable. And I, it's weird because, like, like I said, I, I like this movie, and I've liked it more over the last week since I've seen it. But I've been thinking about it a lot. I've been like, man, that stunt was really cool. Or that, that was really like, – it, it's not forgettable. I'm going to forget some of the plot because I you do that. It's Mission Impossible. But the movie itself I don't think is forgettable. I, I find that with the whole franchise. You know, yeah. I think most of the films are good enough that you go, I, I remember liking that. That was a real – there. And, and do you remember – do you remember Burj Khalifa? Do you remember the train? Do you remember, like there are things that yeah. there are spectacles that you get in the, this op, the opera scene in Rogue One or yes. Rogue Nation, which is like one of the best sequences in the franchise. It's so good. It, it is so well done. And uh, again, another great action scene that tells a story while you're doing it is, uh, you know, mm -hmm. is really well orchestrated. I, I think there's there's things you get from this franchise and I don't know what happens when Cruz eventually stops making them, but there's things you get from this franchise you don't get from other ones. Mm. Um, and I, I appreciate that about it. I don't think it's this film's going to win over new fans, mm -hmm. but I do think it's very satisfying, uh, very satisfying sequel. And I don't think the film is, the series has run out of gas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, crazy. I, I, I agree. And then, yeah, we're pumped about, pumped about this next one. And, um, uh really excited about about seeing it seeing how it all ends too right absolutely absolutely wade thank you so much i appreciate any time we get a chance to chat um how can how can people connect with you yeah you know i'm a little i'm on social media a little bit um twitter it's wade hans uh h-a-n-c-e uh you can also follow me on letterbox sometimes i do stuff there haven't I haven't done a lot of writing or podcasting on on uh, films lately. I did release a book not too long ago, actually about a year ago, to my friend who left the faith, and um, that's available on Amazon. So you can check that out if you'd like to to see me talk about the Bible and some of that stuff other than films. So yeah, there's that's I guess that's where I can be found. Instagram maybe. <laughs> that's awesome. I I appreciate it, and you know what. Um... I always appreciate when you can come on and we can have these conversations. I love, love here, yeah. love uh, your input. Um, yeah. Yeah, I do. I appreciate it too. And, and like I mentioned before the show, I, a few days, like a few days ago, I was like, I need to ask Steve if I can come on, <laughs> invite myself on. Uh, Cause it's been uh Fableman's was the last time. And, uh, and so you, and, but you messaged me before I could. So there's, there's this connection. So appreciate, appreciate being on the show.
you, you never have to ask. Just show up one day when I'm recording on a film and just say, oh, hey, uh, guys, I just wanted to input. Um, just real quick. Hey. <laughs> Here's my thought. Yep, yep. Um, it, well, I love having you on. But for you at home, a reminder, you can find us wherever podcasts are available. You can find us uh, smash that subscribe button on YouTube, uh, as as they say. As kids say, <laughs> as the kids say, um, but uh, you can find our podcast wherever your favorite podcasts are available. And of course, uh, you'll find great, more great conversations like this about films that are that are currently in release. And we have lots of great conversations with people, industry professionals as well. Uh, if you want to continue the conversation where you are, you can go to the podcast page on screenfish.net you can download fishing for more which are some small group questions help you get conversation started uh wherever you are we are hoping to be back next week we're we're set we're putting together teams to or at least over the summer putting together teams to talk about barbie uh oppenheimer uh teenage mutant ninja turtles we're we're it's blockbuster <laughs> summer here at screenfish mm-hmm. uh, it's gonna be fun but uh, once again, Wade, thanks so much. And for you at home, we started the conversation. This was Screenfish. <laughs>